By now, after nearly two years of this pandemic, I'm sure most of us, if not all of us in this room, have had the experience of being on a Zoom call or something when somebody has had occasion to share a video. Maybe it's in a work presentation or a family member wants to show you something. Now, of course, when they put up a video, at least if it's YouTube or one of the bigger services, before you sit through the video, you've got to sit through all these ads, or at least some ads that come up. And it's amazing what you can tell about a person from the ads that come up as the precursor to their video. I have this one person that I work with, and they're often having to show videos, and this person has come to be known as the cat lady. Because before whatever video comes up, you'll always see some sort of cat ad. It's an ad for kitty litter, or cat food, or veterinary school. She likes cats. And on her own time, she watches cat videos. So somehow, in some way, YouTube knows this woman, knows what she likes, knows how she spends her time. Now, if I were going to share a video, you would see nothing but speakers of great learning in scripture scholarship. <laughs> or not. But what do your ads say about you? And it's not as if there's some little genie in your device that knows you so well. All that this is, is the result, obviously, of tracking. And Google is a lot smarter at this than we are. They know what we like. They know when we like it. The ads that come up at one time of day are different than the ads that will come up at another time of day. They'll track your interests. And they'll kind of lead you inside interests. If you like cats, well, maybe you like lions, and you'll get a few lion ads. And if that doesn't go anywhere, they'll try another direction. And before you know it, you maybe are developing interest in something that you didn't even know you liked. How do they know you in that way? All it is is paying attention, right? Paying attention to choices that you make. It's kind of like how a riverbed gets formed. Initially, you just have flat land and rainstorm or something. The water goes rushing. And for some infinitesimal reason, the stream just goes a little bit one way rather than another. But then the next time it rains, it's a little bit easier to go in that path. And before you know it, over a long, long time, but you've carved out a channel. What I'm talking about is the formation of identity. How we come to see ourselves. On the one hand, it's a fascinating process, but it's a deeply spiritual one as well. Yes, it's about our humanity, but it's through our humanity that we come to know and experience where God is in our lives. And so consequently, we can learn all the great truths of our faith. God is love. Faith, hope, and love. We can sing it in beautiful hymns. We can read it in scripture. We put it on prayer cards. But how is it received by us? It will always be received through our identity. The things that we really listen to and pay attention to, the things that we hear, and even if they're familiar, maybe just kind of wash over us. Our identities have a lot to do with how we perceive and live in the world. And it would be wonderful if our identities were only formed by people who love us deeply and care for us and know nothing but the truth and want to convey it to us. But we're human and we're broken 
And not all of our motivations are the most loving and wonderful. And so over the course of our lives, we hear all kinds of voices. And our identity gets shaped. Sometimes slowly, sometimes in leaps and bounds. And we shouldn't kid ourselves. There's something about that Google process that reflects the way we act toward one another long before anyone ever invented a computer. And what sticks, what goes deeper and carves channels in our hearts and minds are the product, oftentimes, of what we're hearing. So why am I saying all of this? Because if we want the love of God, the love that Paul talks about, if we want it to be transformative, right? Not just sort of there and, well, I guess it's nice that God loves me, but to have it be transformative, to mean that I choose this and not that, I enter into this relationship and not that one, I extract myself from this situation, I go more deeply into that one. If this cause moves my heart a little bit, it's something I'm going to give myself over to, as opposed to simply saying, well, that's nice, but I don't want to invest in it. If we want that to be the way we live, then we've got to listen to the only identity-shaping voice that truly sees us as we are. And yes, of course, I'm talking about God's perception. In some sense, the goal of the spiritual life is to learn to see yourself as God sees you. If you're going to define heaven, that's not a bad definition. It's the place where we totally perceive who we are, exactly as God sees us and perceives us. Because with that shared perception comes shared receiving. And it doesn't get any better than that. So think about these readings. Jeremiah, right? There's God. And what does God say? What's the first thing he says to him? I know you. I know you from before you were formed in your mother's womb. Why would he say that? Why, why would that be the first thing? Why doesn't he just give him Prophets 101? Here, you're a prophet. Read up on it. What he wants Jeremiah to know is that he is known by this God who is not going to hang him out to dry. Jeremiah is going to feel that way, right? This is just chapter 1. Work your way through Jeremiah. He's going to have plenty of times where he's wondering if God truly knows him. But he's going to have deep, deep back in his memory that this is how it started. Before the hard times come, before the uncertainty and the doubts, he knows that the first thing he ever heard from God is, hey, I know you. I've got your back before you even had a back that was formed in your mother's womb. And what's his response in his humanity? Hey, no, you got the wrong guy. I can't do it. I'm too young. What if we looked at Jeremiah's browser at that point in his life? Probably all kinds of self-help things. Here's how to be a stronger man, how to influence people, because maybe that's how he saw himself, and so slowly that's how he comes to be seen by others. Jump up to Jesus, how he is seen. Hey, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's son? We know him. Now, what if Jesus only listened to those voices? What if his identity were shaped only by what the citizens of Nazareth thought of him? 
be good at the beginning, they're sort of affirming, but as soon as he says something that they don't like, that voice changes, and it changes on a dime. And what if Jesus suddenly let himself be shaped by that shift in perspective? What if Jesus had just graduated, and this was his first job? He goes out there, and he's, he's doing pretty good, and all of a sudden, everybody turns against him. If it was simply in his humanity like Jeremiah, I could easily imagine him just chucking it all and saying, maybe this isn't for me. But what did he hear at the beginning? Just think back a couple weeks ago when we gathered in this place as baptism. What is it that the Father wants him to know before anything else? Remember what he says? You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. And I've got to believe Jesus never forgot that. When the citizens of Nazareth got ticked off at him, when the scribes and the Pharisees turned against him, when his own disciples denied knowing him, could he always go back to those first words he heard from the only person who saw him with absolute integrity? The Father, you are my beloved Son, and whatever you do, in you I am well pleased. So just a little spiritual exercise, maybe for ourselves, as we move into this fourth week of ordinary time. How does God see you? And don't just settle for a platitude. Yes, he sees you as beloved son or daughter, but how do you feel like God sees you? And if the answer to that, if the honest answer to that question is, you know, I'm not really sure. I can't say that I've actually had an experience of God saying, this is how I see you, then ask for that. Literally go into prayer this week and just say, Lord, how do you see me? And oftentimes the first step to receiving the answer is letting go of whatever the false images of our identity are. And we shouldn't kid ourselves. I think every one of us at some level wears a little bit of a false identity. It can protect parts of our hearts that are vulnerable. It can project an image that we'd like other people to see. And maybe it's not prudent to take that away socially yet, but in your prayer, let it go. I don't need this false identity, Lord, with you. It's not serving any purpose. That, if you like, is step one, but it's the most important step. And then just let yourself be there with the Lord. And because ours is an incarnate faith, maybe bring that very question into conversation with someone you love, someone you trust, someone who knows you, as well as any human being does. And just ask that question. Who do you know me to be? How am I in your eyes? And even if they've been your spouse for 50 years, maybe you've never asked the question that baldly. But it's a beautiful question to ask of someone you love. One of the greatest things you or I can ever know in the spiritual life is the deep and profound answer to that very simple question. Who am I in your eyes, Lord?